Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. You know, this has already been a really eye-opening year as the pandemic led so many people to truly see the systemic inequities baked into American life. Calls for an end to social injustices around the world have also received a new wave of enthusiastic support. And by really taking an honest look at what systemic racism, oppression, and marginalization has meant for many communities here in the States, a lot of us are now talking and thinking about ongoing violence in other parts of the world with a new perspective. And today, we're going to wade back into a topic that has been getting a lot of attention in recent weeks, and that is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Although a ceasefire was reached between Israel and Hamas last month, the conversation here in the States that transpired over the past several weeks included a lot of really impassioned rhetoric from people on both sides. In a rare moment here on the show, I, in fact, talked very explicitly about the very strong feelings I have about the conflict in Palestine and with Israel. And honestly, disagreeing with one another, standing up for what we believe in, these are all really good things. They are crucial things even to being an engaged and informed citizenry. But as we move forward, simultaneously seeing and naming injustice through a new lens, yet still operating in the limiting paradigms of social media and innate political tribalism, things can get a little haywire. And they have in the discussion about what's going on in Israel and Palestine. According to the Anti-Defamation League, during nearly two weeks of fighting between Israelis and Palestinians, there was a 75% spike in anti-Semitic incidents here in the United States. This includes brazen assaults, vandalism, harassment, and hate speech. Variations of the phrase, Hitler was right. Now, can you believe that? Let's just stop there, pause there for a second. The phrase, Hitler was right, was tweeted more than 17,000 times in the first week of the fighting between Israel and Hamas. That is a representation of things going way, way, way off the rails. And that's where we want to begin the hour today, talking about the difference between being critical of Israeli geopolitics and anti-Jewish hate. Anti-Semitism and anti-occupation criticism are really different things. And it's important, I think, to always keep those distinctions in mind. Later in the hour, I'm going to talk with a progressive black queer female rabbi who quite literally sits at the intersection of many of these identities and see how she's thinking about solidarity and allyship in this moment. But first, I'd like to introduce two people who are thinking a lot about what the recent violence in the Middle East means for the com Jewish community here in Metro Detroit. Rabbi Asher Lopatin is executive director of the Jewish Community Relations Council, American Jewish Committee. He's also the founder of the Detroit National Center for Civil Discourse. Rabbi Lopatin, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks so much, Stephen. Great to be on with you. And also with us is Carolyn Normandon. She is Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League's Michigan office. Carolyn, 
Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen, and thank you so much for covering this really important topic. Mm -hmm. So, Rabbi Lopatin, I want to start with you. You were recently in Israel, just last week, and you spent time meeting with Arab and Jewish Israelis, with mayors, teachers, civil society workers. Uh, What did they tell you about what's going on and how they're feeling in this moment? Well, they are feeling that shared society amongst Israelis, amongst Palestinians and Israelis is a possibility, and it's the only way of moving forward. You know, there are two million uh, Israeli Arabs who identify also as Palestinians. They are loyal citizens of Israel, and they are also part of the Palestinian people, and they identify as such. And they face the reality that Israel is not going anywhere, and the Palestinians are not going anywhere. And we have to make the most of it, a shared society. And they are hopeful. They are fighting against uh, a lot of issues. Israel hasn't had a government, so they haven't had the budgets even for the last two years to move things forward. But they are committed to working with their Jewish partners. Uh, The city of Nazareth, incredible mayor, wants to build a Nazareth university with Jewish and Arab and Christian students. Uh, There's really great things going on. And You know, these are the forgotten Palestinians. These are two million Palestinian Israelis that are really making it work. And that's the reality, you know, and um, it was very heartwarming. There are huge challenges. There are mixed cities, uh, Lod, Akko, Yafo, with Jews and Arabs, and there were terrible tensions and riots in those cities. Uh, But they are rebuilding and they are committed to shared society, and that's the direction to go in. Mm. So, so I, I also want to get your sense of the relationship between uh, what's going on in Israel between uh, Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs, and the tensions that exist externally uh, with Palestinians, uh, you know, in the West Bank and and other territories uh, with with is Israel's neighbors. That is the tension point that that flared up uh, into violence and and I I wonder what uh, what effect that has on the sort of internal dynamics that you're talking about. I mean, I think they're they, they are distinct uh, they are distinct phenomena, right? They are very uh, separate from each other, but of course they they have strong strong connections as well. Yeah, it was so interesting. I met in Lod, which is a mixed city, 70% Jewish, 30% uh, Arab, um, in an organization, HaKaveret, uh, the Beehive, that brings together innovators, Jewish and Arab innovators. And the Arab uh, innovator who was meeting with her Jewish partner was saying that she participated in the strike, the solidarity strike that Israeli Arab professionals uh, participated in out of solidarity with their Palestinian brothers and sisters. And the fascinating thing is that both this organization uh, and her Jewish partner, an amazing ultra-Orthodox woman, um, respected that. And they said, okay, we'll change the time of the meeting because we respect your narrative. We respect your solidarity with your people. But then after that day of strike, they went back and they're forming uh, an incredible innovation to help uh, people find jobs. Uh, And so 
you know, the, the idea is respect for different narratives and understanding and listening. And that that is going on. And it sounds kind of wimpy and soft, but that's the reality. I mean, we can, uh, you know, project all sorts of uh, claims and protests and all sorts of things. The critical thing is how can Palestinians and Israelis work together? You know, for me, I want that pipeline. There's a pipeline from Israel to, to Gaza that was planned. This is between Israel and Hamas, a pipeline to get Israeli gas into Gaza so they can uh, run that uh, their electric uh, station, electricity for Gazans. That's what I want to see happening. That's what I want to see people protesting, build that pipeline. I know it's not so green, but uh, those are the kind of things. And so in with people that really have to deal with real issues on the ground, with Palestinians that have to look after their livelihood and establishing an economic core for their future state, that is sort of the atmosphere that we need shared society and cooperation. Mm. Uh, uh, Carolyn, I want to get you involved in the conversation here and have you talk about what we've seen um, in terms of anti-Semitism in reaction to what's happening in in Israel and uh, in in uh, Palestinian uh, territories uh, near it. Uh, it has not been. It has not been a great picture. Right. Sure. And um, Stephen, I, I agree with Rabbi Lopatin. You know, a two-state solution is the is the way to go. That's what ADL believes. We believe in this great, very, very much. And in fact, ADL in Israel, my colleagues in Israel, for the past several years, have presented a social cohesion summit that has brought together Israelis. Palestinians, Arabs, it's it's translated in real time into Arabic, and it's gone into uh, locations like uh, Rabbi Lopatin has talked about. It, there is a way to do this. I think there's a disconnect, however, when American Jews are targeted for their support of Israel and these kinds of two-state solution ideas, um, and we've seen it all over the United States. Specifically, I'm responsible for Michigan. So I've had uh, um, a, a, more than a doubling of incidents in the last couple of weeks here in Michigan reported to me. We've seen a rise in all kinds of harassment and even, um, you know, vandalism and real real serious um, uh, uh, impact on American Jews just for putting an Israeli flag in their window or supporting the state of Israel. And that's what concerns me the most. Mm. It's, you know, blaming individuals or Jewish institutions as a way to air grievances is not peaceful. And, um, and perpetuating age-old anti-Semitic tropes, myths, exaggerated claims, inflammatory rhetoric, and, and encouraging people to attack American Jews is not okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to ask both of you about uh, something I feel really strongly about and talked about when we had a conversation about this last week, I believe, or maybe it was two weeks ago. Um, the, the the conditions that exist for Palestinians um, who live outside of Israel, who live in the territories, um, the violence that Israel uh, uh, subjects 
those people too. Um, often, of course, in response to threats or uh, violence by uh, Hamas or other terrorist groups. But, you know, most of the people who are victims of uh, these retaliations aren't members of Hamas. There's people living their lives. And then the dehumanization uh, of those people, of of Arab peoples, Palestinians, um, in the justifications for that, the things that say uh, basically they're bringing this on themselves or that the, that the casualties that they're suffering don't matter as much because uh, they're, they're happening as a, uh, as a consequence of defense, Israel's defense of itself. It's something that really bothers me. And I, I made uh, a connection between that kind of dynamic and dynamics we see with black and brown people all over the world, including here in the United States. Uh, it is it is similar uh, in the way in which it is justified. It is similar uh, in the sense that um, that black and brown lives are not valued at, in the same way as as other lives. And and I just want to get both of you to react to that and and talk about how you reconcile those things with the outlooks that you have about. Um, you know, about Israel itself, about uh, anti-Semitism, which, of course, is totally unacceptable as well. Um, these things are intention, I think. And, and it's hard sometimes uh, to keep your head straight about uh, what we should be doing uh, and how we should be thinking. So, uh, Rabbi Lopatin, I'll, I'll start with you. Thanks, Stephen. Yes, dehumanization is never acceptable. And um, Israel has to work hard uh, to make sure that Israelis meet Palestinians. One of the schools I visited, um, the Al-Kastal School in Nazareth, an Arab school, they make sure that their fourth graders meet Jewish fourth graders. You know, Israelis and Palestinians should be allies. I just heard in the news report, uh, you know, we, we've heard about that, that horrific murder in Ontario, Canada, targeting Muslims. Well, and I know Carolyn uh, works on this, that Muslims and Jews and Arab Americans and Jewish Americans, we have to have each other's back. We have to be allies. And likewise, in the Middle East, I know it sounds so strange, but Israelis and Palestinians need to become allies together. You know, the Middle East is a messy place with Syria, Libya, Iran, Lebanon, and Israelis and Palestinians need to, the change needs to be bringing people together. And as Carolyn mentioned, there are organizations that are working so hard to bring Jews, Israeli Jews and Palestinians, both in Israel and outside of Israel together. So I think to answer that dehumanization, it's not uh, trying to uh, cancel each other or throw each other away or, or anti-normalization. No, it's to bring each other together to understand that you are allies, just as the Jewish community and the black community have been allies way back 60 years ago in the civil rights movement. And even now, Black Lives Matter. I'll tell you, I believe Zionism is a liberation movement. And that's why Black Lives Matter and Zionism go together. We have to be allies 
Jews and the black community and Jews and the Muslim and Arab American community and in Israel as well. That's the direction to move to get each other to meet each other, to work together, to help each other. And that way we're going to deal with a lot of the, the dehumanization and a lot of the suspicions and the fear that we have for each other because it's a much scarier world and we have to stick together. Mm. Uh, Carolyn, I wonder yeah, what you make of sure. that. Yeah, go ahead. Sure, I'd build on what uh, Asher says, but with one important distinction. First of all, I welcome, I know Asher welcome, anybody who wel- who cares about life welcome the ceasefire. Um, anyone who cares about life mourns innocent lives lost during any conflict. And we must work toward a hope a peaceful resolution. That's number one. Attacks on anyone are attacks on everyone. That's true. Um, But I also was on meetings with my Israeli colleagues where sirens were going off and missiles were were going and and my colleague said, I've got to go. I'm sorry. Cut the the meeting. I might have to cut the meeting short because they would have to go into bomb shelters. So I want to, I want to, change one misconception. I think in terms of Israelis and Jewish people who live in Israel, they're not all, I think people tend to think they're white European Jews that were escaping the Holocaust that went to Israel and started a state. That's not the majority of Israelis. There's a lot of Middle Eastern Israelis. There are a lot of black and brown Jewish people. So I, I, I think talking about it from a a black-white issue or a race issue is not necessarily the right thing to do because I think um, there are a lot of of, Isra- of Jewish Israelis who don't represent, you know, European Jewishness or, you know, the way Jewish people are thought of in the United States. Mm-hmm. I also think we've seen a rise in all kinds of hateful eff- efforts um, as Israel has gained prominence. I think, you know, when, um, as Israel, Israel has, has, you know, started to have a lot of technology and innovation, it's got a target on its back. And it's very easy for people to say, look at this state, look at how powerful it is. But in truth, Israel is sitting in the middle of uh, a desert with um, angry countries pointed toward it and, um, you know, systematic um inaccuracies and, and creating books that are, that are told to Palestinian children with complete wrong narrative does not help the situation. I agree with Asher so much about cohesion. It's one of the reasons that we work so hard at ADL for, on the Social Cohesion Summit, because this is a, a difficult situation. Um, it, it, can't be, it can't be learned in an instant. It can't be discussed uh, on Facebook or Instagram, this is, these are long conversations mm. to be able to to make things work. Um, and again, tying it back to what's going on in Michigan, you know, uh, having somebody's business attacked or having a young two young boys on their way to school harassed because they're wearing uh, kippah or a yarmulke, as mm. most people know it, is is not acceptable. So I think there's this disconnect, and I think. Um, we need to understand what's going on in Israel. We need to understand what's going on in the United States. And, and that is the basis for real, true discussion and mm. real thoughtful contemplation on this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to continue this conversation uh, about anti-Semitism, about the tensions uh, in the Middle East and how they are playing out here uh, in Metro Detroit and in the United States. We want to hear from you as well. What do you make of the conflation between anti-Semitism and anti-Israeli leadership? Are you a member of Metro Detroit's Jewish community? Uh, how has the last month been for you? What have you seen in terms of this kind of backlash? Call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm glad you have decided to join us. My guests are Rabbi Asher Lopatin. He's executive director of the Jewish Community Relations Council, American Jewish Committee, also the founder of the Detroit National Center for Civil Discourse. Also with us is Carolyn Normandin, who is a regional director of the Anti-Defamation League's Michigan office. We're talking about a disturbing rise in anti-Semitic incidents as backlash to the violence we saw in Israel and Palestine last month. Thank Thankfully, there is a ceasefire uh, in the Middle East right now, and they are trying to, uh, you know, extend that and and figure out uh, a path to long term peace. Uh, the question is, uh, why do uh, anti-Semitic incidents uh, spring from these kinds of things, and how do you address uh, the hatred that inspires those incidents? As always, uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three. 577-1019. What do you make of the uptick uh, in anti-Semitic incidents? If you're a member of uh, the Jewish community here in Metro Detroit, we especially want to hear about how things have been for you, what you've experienced uh, over the past uh, few weeks, and, and what you think about uh, uh, the prospects for long-term peace and solutions uh, to this problem in the Middle East. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation that way. Uh, let's start with Jeffrey in Detroit. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Stephen. Thank Hi. you for having me. Sure. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Nolish. I uh, grew up in metropolitan Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, but I was born uh, in Bogota, Colombia, and I was adopted by a white Jewish family. Uh, and raised in Huntington Woods. Hmm. And my father was the president of the synagogue, and my mother was the president of the sisterhood. And I certainly, and, and I had teachers that, that, that taught me, uh, that lived through the Holocaust and taught me a great deal about oppression and about suffering and about endurance. Uh, but I also have spent much of my life being othered. Uh, and while we talk about anti-Semitism, I absolutely agree that it's important to talk about racism, because as a brown Jew, uh, and a, as a member of a congregation that had black Jews, um, I, have, I have felt that there's been room for improvement uh, in terms of race and ethnicity discussions within the Jewish community in Metropolitan Detroit. Mm. And, I, and I did not go to birthright 
to Israel. I went to birthright to Bogota. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I just see uh, an opportunity here to listen to people that are diverse and different, to listen to Palestinians, and to spend more time building relationships and building narratives about who's right and who's wrong. So, so Jeffrey, that's a, I mean, it is a really fascinating uh, perspective to, to share with our listeners. I, I wonder if you can be a little more specific, though, about where you identify in the, um, you know, in the conflict between Israelis and, and Palestinians. Uh, it, it seems to me that, that, you know, for lots of people, uh, the, there are not clear lines, right? I mean, they, they all kind of get blurred. It seems to me, for you, they could be especially especially blurred given your experiences. Can you talk to us just a little about that? Yeah, sure. So I would say uh, where I fall is I support Palestinian voices. I support listening to Palestinians. I support considering uh, the ideas of one-state solutions or two-state solutions. Uh, and, I, and I say that because I grew up surrounded by Jewish voices. I didn't grow up surrounded by Palestinian voices. And now to have the honor of having a congressperson, uh, Rashida Tlaib, serve as my, my, my congress member mm-hmm. is, is phenomenal. And I've been able to build a relationship and stand side by side for justice time and time again. And, and we do that by building relationships. And so ultimately, you know, I, I see a lot of articles that come out in the news where it segregates Asian Americans and Jews, or African Americans and Jews, or Latinx and Jews, when the reality is that Judaism is woven into all of the categories of race and ethnicity, and every day I live my life as that example. And a lot of the closest family and friends I have uh, live in this space that's diverse, and, and, and a lot of times not as included uh, outside of the congregations or communities that we grew up in as it should be. Hmm. Jeffrey, I really love that you called and, uh, and shared that perspective. I think it, it is a perfect example of, uh, of, the, of the complications, the, the, the difficulties trying to sort through uh, all of this. Uh, uh, Rabbi Lopatin, uh, I'd love to hear you react to what Jeffrey's saying. Uh, Jeffrey, I love you. Uh, first of all, I'm in Huntington Woods, uh, which, <laughs> by the way, I feel guilty living here. We only moved here three years ago, but it's a beautiful neighborhood. It's like 96% white. I feel, you know, we have to do much more to integrate our neighborhoods. But be that as it may, it's a very Black Lives Matter, wonderful neighborhood. Um, and our, we at the JCRC AJC have a new initiative called Colote, which is led by a multiracial Jew, wonderful staff member, Ashira Solomon, exactly what you said. The Jewish community has to wake up and has to see, as Carolyn mentioned, how diverse it is and to the richness of this diversity, the richness that we have Black Jews, multiracial Jews, that we have Jews from all over. That That is an asset that the Jewish community must make sure to, to highlight and find equity for. So we're very focused on that. And I think, you know, just by your comments, uh, the idea of listening to different narratives, I want to hear, I want to hear narratives from Palestinians and narratives from Palestinian supporters. Those might be different sometimes. Uh, And uh, just, Jeff, I don't know what synagogue you're at. I know there's a wonderful synagogue downtown, downtown synagogue, but um, your voice is so important to the Jewish community and to the general American community, uh, really showing us that that um, when we stop listening, 
uh, that's when we fail. When we come together and listen and listen carefully, respectfully, that's when we'll succeed. Hmm. Uh, Carolyn, I wonder what your reaction is. I, I want to meet Jeffrey for coffee. I want <laughs> Jeffrey, I want you to contact me uh, at ADO. You know, a lot of people think um, of the United States as a melting pot. I think of it as a mosaic. We are a little bit different. We're all a little bit different. Um, we all look a little bit different. Individually, we feel it a little bit different, and we have individual characteristics. But when you put those pieces together and you step back, it makes a beautiful picture. And so I, I agree the intersectionality of people and having people who have identities that are more than one thing helps us to understand one another. And uh, Jeffrey, I would say, give, give me a call at ADL and we'll have some discussion. <laughs> Again, Jeffrey, really appreciate uh the call and your wonderfully unique perspective uh, on, on all of this. Thanks so much. Uh, let's go to Graham in Ann Arbor. Graham, what's on your mind? Hello, Stephen, and hello to your guests. Um, thanks for taking, taking my call. Mm -hmm. uh, years ago, I worked as a journalist in Palestine and Israel, so I have mm -hmm. some firsthand perspective here. Mm -hmm. um, Anti-Semitism is real, and it's wrong, and it should be condemned in all its forms. And that's why I think it's so unfortunate that time and time again, Accusations of anti-Semitism have been used as a weapon to quell the Palestine solidarity movement and uh, distract from the abuses Palestinians face on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that's not just when the news cameras are on and the bombs are falling. Uh, criticism of Israeli policy should not be conflated with anti-Semitism. And I think doing so um, trivializes the word anti-Semitic. Um, and if I could just add, um, you know, it's understandable that when some Palestinians uh, respond with violence against the occupation, there's condemnation. But even when Palestinians and their allies, um, including Jewish allies, respond with nonviolence, uh, there's still these condemnations of anti-Semitism. Mm. I'm thinking particularly of uh, the BDS movement, which was modeled after um, an anti-apartheid in South Africa mm -hmm. uh, solidarity movement. Uh, uh, Graham, I really appreciate the call and, and your thoughts, and I absolutely agree with you that uh, there is a real danger in conflating uh, criticism of Israel and its policies with anti-Semitism. Uh, and, and look, there are some cynical efforts to do so, right, as you point out, as a way of delegitimizing uh, the the voices of of Palestinians and other Arabs uh, in in protest to the treatment that uh, that Israel subjects them them to. Um, uh, Rabbi Lopatin, how do you how do you answer what uh, what Graham is talking about here? That uh, that sometimes anti the, the the flag of anti-Semitism is waved uh, falsely uh, as a way of quieting criticism of Israel. Well, I think the problem with BDS and many of the uh, movements that do come uh, close or are anti-Semitic is that when you deny the right of the Jewish people to a homeland and when you deny the right of Israel to exist as Hamas does, that I'm really sorry, that's anti-Semitic. Uh, there's an IHRA definition of anti-Semitism that many, many countries have accepted that if you deny the right of the Jewish people to a homeland, then you're anti-Semitic. Now, as Carolyn said, major Jewish organizations have not denied the right of the Palestinians to a homeland. We're for a two-state solution. But 
denying the BDS movement in general denies the right of Israel to um, uh, exist. And that's where the problem, and that's where that is anti-Semitic. Now, again, there's a narrative and we can discuss Israeli policies and the government. It's exciting. There's a new government that actually has an Arab party at the center of the coalition. It's an amazing advance in uh, shared society in Israel. You can disagree with Israeli policies and all that and have different solutions for getting a Palestinian state. But when you deny the right of Israel to exist, that is anti-Semitism. And just because other nations and other peoples have a right to exist, you are singling out the Jewish people as not having that right to exist, as Hamas does, as Iran does. And that's why it is anti Semitism. Again, criticize Israel, come up with new policies, criticize America for our Middle East policy. That's totally legitimate. But deny the right of Israel to exist as BDS does. That's terrible. I, I just got to say for a second that also BDS is totally boycott, divestment, sanctions, the, totally the wrong direction. We need more relationships. We need more connections. We need Palestinians and Israelis to trade more. And we need to support Palestinian businesses in the West Bank, in Gaza, and in Israel. So it's exactly the wrong direction to go in to deny these relationships. Mm. Let's build these relationships, yeah. not tear them down. Yeah, I think in general I would I would agree. But I do think that some of the pressure that uh, BDS and others are suggesting needs to be put on Israel is something that should, uh, I think it's something that should be on the table. Uh, Carolyn, quick, quickly, I'll give you a chance to respond before we need to sure. break. Mm -hmm. And and I, I want, Graham, I hope you're still listening. I want to make this very clear. Criticism against the government of Israel is not anti-Semitism most of the time. Fine. You want to criticize policies or tactics? That's, that's fine. There's plenty of legitimate criticism of policies. I agree with uh, Asher. We can criticize our own country as well for some of our policies. But I, I completely agree. I tell people to think about the three Ds. That's demonization, delegitimization, which Asher mentioned, and uh, double standards. So delegitimizing people with, uh, you know, delegitimizing Israel. Um, that's how you can tell when something has gone from anti-Israel rhetoric into anti-Semitism. And there's a clear distinction here in the United States, here in Michigan, where people are calling my office, where I've gotten more than two dozen complaints about uh, anti-Jewish hatred, where people's businesses are being attacked, people are being threatened on their porch. So th th this is a very different thing than, you know, um, than uh, making a, a play for the fact that you don't like certain Israeli policies. So I, I really want to make a clear distinction. At ADL, there are a lot of times people call me and I tell them, I don't think that's anti-Semitism. I think that's freedom of speech. ADL is a steadfast supporter of the American First Amendment, and that is freedom of speech. And I believe in constructive dialogue. And I could um, tell you about times that I don't agree with Israel, times that I don't agree with my own country. That doesn't mean my own country's policies. That does not mean that I'm going to attack a person on the street. And that's the clear distinction. And I, and I couldn't agree with uh, Asher more about the delegitimization of a Jewish homeland. Mm. To say a Jewish homeland shouldn't exist is not acceptable. 
Okay, uh, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and Carolyn Norman, and it was really great to have uh, both of you here for this conversation. Thanks so Thanks much. So much Thank for you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Appreciate this. This is, you know, these are the kinds of conversations we have to have, Stephen. These are the mm-hmm. kinds of constructive dialogues, seeing other people's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage anybody who wants to know more to um, to contact uh, me at ADL or an Asher, I know you feel the same way. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Let's have dialogue. Yes. Civil discourse. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Rabbi Sandra Lawson about how she's interpreting this moment of allyship as a black, queer, female rabbi. Not going to want to miss that conversation. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for joining us. We're talking about anti-Semitism. We're talking about the tensions in the Middle East and how they are playing out in communities here in Southeast Michigan and around the country. Uh, I want to welcome a really different voice now to this conversation. Rabbi Sander Lawson is Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with the progressive Jewish organization called Reconstructing Judaism. She is a black, queer, female rabbi, which is a very interesting and provocative mix of uh, ideas and uh, experiences that I think give her a really unusual perspective on all of this. So I'm really excited to welcome Rabbi Sandra Lawson to Detroit Today. Great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's just start with how you're feeling in this moment, giving, given that mix of background and uh, perspective and experience that you have. Uh, this is a confusing moment for many people. Uh, I would imagine that sorting through it is uh, just a little different for you. I, I don't know if it's different. It's just how I how I see things um, with someone who sort of sits at the margins and intersections of, of Jewish life. I mean, I don't have. Um, I'm not. I'm not white. I'm a black woman. I'm also, you know, part of. As my young people, my young friends have taught me, alphabet mafia. You know, um, I'm queer. I'm a member of the LGBTQIA community. You know, happy pride. Um, and, um, you know, and I think that gives me an interesting perspective, kind of like a superpower to see things a little different than some of my colleagues. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, so, so I want to have you react to, to what I was just talking with our other guests about, which is this, uh, this connection that I uh, feel increasingly between, um, what happens to, uh, Palestinian people uh, and the way it's explained, the way it's justified, uh, and the way that other black and brown people around the the planet uh, are, are treated, and the excuses that we hear uh, for those for those things, uh, th- they are they are in my mind bonded uh, in in the manner in which uh, the discrimination kind of unfolds and is. 
is upheld. I, I, I wonder, as someone who also is Jewish, though, um, how you how you are have come to to, to see that uh, and 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 understand those connections. Well, I, I agree with your um, the, your other two guests that one criticism of, of Israel is fair. Criticism criticism of the state of government of the government of Israel is fair. Politicism of, of policies are fair. Um, and there is a line that gets crossed that turns into anti-Semitism, and sometimes for many people that can be quite blurry. You know, one of the more obvious ones is um, when when Jews in the diaspora, Jews in the United States, as Jewish people, get blamed for policies of Israel, which is a government, not a government that I'm not responsible for, I'm not a citizen of. Um, and anything that sounds like um, someone that does not support um, uh, Jews having a state crosses the line of anti-Semitism. Mm. So, criticizing the government is completely fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so can you talk about the role of social media activism, the kind of oversimplification and false binaries that get produced when we talk about uh, solidarity and allyship around and oppressed people. I feel like this is this is a time where it's harder and harder to have an actual conversation uh, about these things because of social media. Because of social media, and because we are you know, we are becoming more polarized, we are picking sides. We are less likely to often see the humanity of people because of social media. I mean, if you're having a one-on-one conversation with someone in person and you hurt their feelings, you can see that. Um, social media takes that away. And um, one of the things that I saw play out with this last conflict or this last war, um, which also coincided with Jewish History Month, um, Jews, myself included, were um, just bombarded with uh, you know, anti-Semitic tropes um, that were very blatant, very clear um, on social media. Uh, I know that uh, I, I use TikTok a lot, and... Um, I was attacked on TikTok by probably mostly young people who don't even really understand, but mm. still, some of the language was was quite horrible. Um, I also have colleagues and friends who were attacked on 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 other social media platforms. And I also want to say that like the 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 vile stuff that happened in me on social media happened on posts where I wasn't even talking about Israel, Israel and Palestine. In fact, I don't even use my social media platform to talk about those things. I usually use my social media platform to draw attention to, you know, race, racism that's happening in the United States and to educate people about the Jewish community. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, Jewish creators like myself were just um, attacked because we're Jewish. Yeah. And that's really the only reason for it. Yeah. Again, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us uh, what you make of the tensions that are playing out in the Middle East uh, and how they have an effect on the things that we talk about and interact over here. Uh, Let's go to Ali in uh, Dearborn. Ali, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. How are you doing? Good. So I have uh, a couple of comments that I will make to try to make as briefly as possible. When you asked your when you asked your guests earlier about the dehumanization of Palestinians, 
They suggested things like community relations and fourth graders meet. Uh, but the reality is that Human Rights Watch and Beth Salam, which is an Israeli human rights group, have uh, branded Israel as an apartheid state. The Palestinians face daily discrimination mm -hmm. from government policy. The occupation is a system. Apartheid is a system that is Israel's basic law that only Jews, exclusively Jews, are entitled to self-determination. That's a system. Fourth graders, when they meet, they can't solve this system. The dehumanization is so deeply entrenched and legal in Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, so this talk of community relations and we love each other, that's nonsense. At the same time, the same guests, when we talked about Palestinian resistance, when we talked about uh, BDS, they're talking about delegitimizing Israel. Okay, so we can't engage in nonviolent resistance because that's delegitimizing Israel and that's anti-Semitic according to them, which by the way, the BDS movement, you're welcome to go to BDS.org, does not say that Israel shouldn't mm. exist. In fact, it says that their goal is to achieve equality one state, two state, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's misinformation out there. But no nonviolent resistance, because that's somehow anti-Semitic. No violent resistance, because that's terrorism. Uh, what about can we turn to the International Criminal Court, to the United Nations? No, that's single now Israel. So what can Palestinians do mm. to resist this apartheid system? I'm not saying this. It's the Human Rights Watch. It's Beth Salam, which is an Israeli group. Israel is imposing apartheid at Palestinians, against Palestinians. What can they do to resist it? Yeah. No, so, your previous guests don't want any form of resistance. They want Palestinians to just live in shackles with a boot on their neck. But it's okay. We can buy from West Bank businesses, Palestinian businesses, and have fourth graders meet. It's, it's a simplistic so, uh, approach so, that's yeah. frankly uh, laughable. Uh, Ali, I think that's a, a really great synopsis of, of a position that, that I identify with uh, almost almost uh, in lockstep. Uh, but, but what do you make of, I mean, our previous guests were also talking about the instances inside Israel uh, where uh, Arab citizens and Jewish citizens are, are figuring it out and figuring out how to live together in that state now that doesn't address uh, the, the the big questions and I think the importance of there being another state that is uh, controlled uh, by the Palestinians is who, who deserve self-determination as much as uh, as everybody else does uh, but what do you make I mean you're saying that the idea of just getting along doesn't work um, I guess I'm not sure that, that, that I would say that's 100% true because you do find examples inside Israel uh, of that working. So we need to remove the legal barriers. We need to dismantle the apartheid. We need to grant equal rights to Palestinians. Then let's get along. Mm -hmm. That would be stage two, the get along. And You're you talking about Palestinians who live outside of Israel, right? Outside and inside. There mm -hmm. are, there's a number of discriminatory laws against Palestinian Arab citizens of Israel. As I mentioned, Israel's basic law, which is akin to our constitution, 
says that self-determination is exclusive to the Jewish, to Jewish people. people. Sure. I mean, think about it. Think about Michigan's constitution saying the self, the right to self-determination in the state of Michigan is exclusive to white citizens. Right. And I, we may come back and say, well, look, in Detroit, in Midtown, African Americans and whites are living side by side and in harmony. Well, yeah, that may be true, but there's a systemic there's still issue system, here. Yeah. No, Ali, so existence I, I, is important, but but doesn't solve the systemic problem. Right, uh, Ali, I, I I absolutely hear you, and I'm glad you called and shared that. I do want to get uh, Rabbi Lawson to 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 react to to, to what you're saying. Uh, what what's your answer here? Um, um so I. What's your call? What's the caller? What's your name? The caller? Ali. Ali. I, I feel you, and I hear the pain in your voice. Um, and I totally agree that uh, Palestinians should have equal rights um, in Israel. And uh, I, you're not going to get an argument from me on that. And I want to also say I am not an expert on um, the Israeli government, um, and I support um, any any policy that will create equal rights for all of the citizens that live in that region. And but what he's saying is that in order to do that, you have to dismantle this system of inequality that Israel has constructed. And he's saying both inside Israel and with relation to the Palestinian territories. Do you agree with that? <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, anything that would create equal rights for all citizens, all people who live in that region, I would support. How to go about that? There are experts out there that have way more knowledge than I do (laughs) on how to make that happen. And yes, there are experts out there that are failing miserably. Um, And uh, hopefully, um, at some point in time, there will be, uh, you know, better people with the right hearts to make the changes. Yeah. Okay, uh, Rabbi Sandra Lawson, I wish we could uh, extend this conversation for another hour. <laughs> There's so much that we could talk about, but I'm really grateful uh, that you Thank could you. be here and to talk with us. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Okay, uh, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to get the details on a Michigander who is currently being detained in Myanmar. Uh, plus, uh, political journalist Edward Isaac Dover has a new book about the rise and recalibration of the Democratic Party after Obama. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Anna Marie Seisling. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.